It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. Cliff Central is turning one, and to celebrate, we're giving away half a million rand in smartphones. Half a million rand in smartphones. You could win just by listening to Cliff Central on WeChat every day during every show. Yeah, baby. If you want an upgrade or you need a new smartphone, we'll hook you up. Win with Cliff Central and WeChat for the month of April and visit cliffcentral.com for details. Season C's apply. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Dr. Cindy Siwef and Sale, uh, Dr. Cindy at D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And you're welcome to the health hour on this really nippy, um, yeah, it's a nippy day. I'm actually feeling quite cold today. Um, Antoinette is my guest this afternoon. Thank you so much for being here, Antoinette. Thank you for having me. So Antoinette, um, is living with bipolar mood disorder and her story, I mean, I met her a few months ago. We met on a, on a TV show. And I mean, I remember listening to your story and thinking to myself, your story is so amazing. I think what I appreciated the most was your, the, just the way you were able to express what you had gone through and how you had come through it. And, um, you know, your, your journey with the medicine, with the suicide attempt, Antoinette. And that's why I knew I had to have you, um, on the show. So thank you so much for being here. I know you're quite a busy woman. And I'm really, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're here with us today. And if you've tuned in, yeah, you're listening to me, Dr. Cindy. We're speaking about bipolar mood disorder. You can give us a ring on 0861 555 You can tweet us. You can tweet me at, at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And you can also tweet, um, at CliffCentral.com if you have any questions, any comments about, um, what we're speaking about today. So, Antoinette, just to go back to you, um, first of all, where are you from? You know, where did you grow up? Tell me a bit about yourself. Um, I was born in Johannesburg. Um, came from a happy home. We moved to Sasselburg after that. My dad worked at the factories there. I've got four brothers and one sister, so we had a busy, busy house. Can you imagine? <laughs> and, um, well, um, when I was 19, I moved to Johannesburg. I lived with my sister for a few years, and then I met the man. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we got married um, when I was 24, and we had two girls, Jamie and Jessie. Jamie's 18, Jessie's 14, and basically we've got four dogs, a cat, and a bird. <laughs> and that's it. And um, I, mean, I know you've written a book about um you know about bipolar mood disorder and your journey with it but what really um you know i think what i'm curious about is first of all what happened when you first got sick and and then how were you diagnosed and so on well i didn't really know what happened to me um what was happening to how me how old were you when it happened i was 36 mm. but um that's when i can remember but i think it happened a bit before you know started maybe when i was younger and I just didn't realize. Um, I got very depressed and I would cry for nothing. I wouldn't socialize. I would get these mania episodes where I would just clean everything and I couldn't sleep. You know, in the middle of the night, I'll get up and go do ironing or wash dishes and <laughs> things like that. I thought I was going mad. Mm. And um, then I, I went to the doctor and he gave me antidepressants. Which helped a bit with the the lows, you know, the crying and that. But I felt like I was a zombie, like, you know. So the medication, like, really dulled you and you, you know. Yes. And it's also, I picked up weight and I was depressed because of that, mm. you know. So 
Um, then a few years later, I just kept taking that because I didn't really know. I was feeling very, very down. And I still remember I was standing in the kitchen with my husband. And I said to him, I'm having suicidal thoughts. He was absolutely shocked. He didn't know what to do. He just looked at me and I was just crying and crying. And um, he spoke to my sister about that and they arranged for me to see a psychologist, yeah. which I did. Um, but I don't think she realized that I had bipolar because she thought it was just stress. Because mm. we went through a lot of things in our home with finances and, you know, the kids and everything. Yeah. Um, that probably played a little part, but um, I just left off the two consultations because she wanted me to do, like, self-hypnosis <laughs> and things like that. And it didn't work for me. I mean, yeah. it wasn't what was wrong with me. Um, then after that, it was a few months later, and I, the first time I tried to take my life was at home. Um my husband and the kids were watching TV and I just took uh migraine tablets. <laughs> so you went so you went to the bathroom or you went to your bedroom and you decided this is it, I'm I'm now going to die. Yes. And you didn't say anything to anyone, you didn't say anything to them? No. Nothing. I actually went to bath and then I was lying in the bath and I thought, Okay, you know, this is my time, I've done my bit on earth. <laughs> so yeah. there's this voice in your head and you know, you'd got no control. It just Makes you do these things. I know people don't understand and they, you know, they think you're crazy or a coward, but you've got no control. You're sick. Mm. I mean, it's an illness. And, um, and I, I mean, and thank, and thank you for mentioning that voice, Antoinette, because this is just the thing that, the, as you say, there's this voice in your head and it keeps telling you that you need to die, you need to die, you must die, you must die. And if it overwhelms you, you are going to do what that voice says. Yes. You know, when people say, I hear voices, they actually mean it. You know, I think many times, even us as health workers, we don't always understand the gravity of of, of those voices. Yes, of you know. course. And um, well, nothing really happened to me. I just got violently ill because the tablets obviously wasn't the right thing to take when you yeah. want to do that. And I went to the psychologist again and again and again, and they just kept on prescribing antidepressants for me. They didn't refer me to a psychiatrist. Mm. And um, eventually, one of the doctors gave me a, <clears throat> I actually went to a brain specialist and thought I was getting dizzy spells and headaches and things. And I went to him. We did a CAT scan. There was not much wrong with me, but um, he asked me what medication I'm on and I told him that I was bipolar. And he said, what mood stabilizers are you taking? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and he was shocked. He immediately found a psychiatrist in the building and I went down to see her. And then she prescribed mood stabilizers and sleeping pills and everything. So I felt much better. And then I thought, okay, you know, I can cope now on my own. I don't need to take the medicine anymore. So I went off. I so, so at this stage... So you'd so you'd been diagnosed with um, major depression yes. and bipolar. So yes. you'd found a psycho a, a doctor who had diagnosed you. Yes. But they hadn't actually put you on the correct medication. No. Okay. So you were so you were on the antidepressants without the mood stabilizer, That's which is correct. a very important component of bipolar mood disorder. Yes. And um, then I felt great. I felt on top of the world, and you know, obviously, 
The doctor never told me don't just go off your medicine. So I just stopped it completely. And within six days, I was a wreck. I was just a total wreck. And um, it was two days before Christmas. We were on leave, our annual leave, and mm-hmm. the, the girls were at home. The morning we went to the Krugersdorp game reserve and I, I didn't even realize where I was, what I was doing. They were talking to me and I would, they asked me, what's wrong with you, you know? And um, I was just feeling down. Mm. I, I can't describe how down I was. And mm. then um, when we got home, Dean's parents, my husband's parents came to fetch the girls to swim. And um, he had to go to work. His alarm went off at work and then I was sitting on the patio watching the dogs play no emotion and then the voice again (laughs) just said okay you know you can't do this you can't go through this just go and end it now you know get it over and done with now finally and I went to the bedroom my husband gets panic attacks so um they gave him Zainal for the panic attacks yeah so he just renewed his prescription the previous day. I took the full bottle out of his drawer and I took a few tablets. Then I thought, okay, I bought new curtains for the lounge yesterday and I can't just die and leave my family with empty windows. Oh, know, my so. goodness, that's a mix. <laughs> And then um, I went to shorten the curtains in my dizzy state. I went to hang them. And so you sat down, you took them, fin- finished sewing them, doing whatever needed to be done, and then you hang them. Yes. Oh, wow. And then um, I went back to the room, took more tablets. Then I thought, okay, you know, I must tell my husband at least why I'm doing this so he could understand that it wasn't him. It was nothing that anyone did. It was just my illness that yeah. made me do this. So I started writing my suicide note. Then I remembered, okay, I didn't tell him where the, I hit the girls' Christmas presents because, you know, kids, they always find out where the stuff is. I wrote that down. I told him where to go buy a skirt for my daughter for school the next year. Oh, internet. <laughs> and then I just thought, okay, now I've done everything that I need to do. And I just took the rest of the tablets and I can't remember anything after that. Mm. He came back from work, found me on the bed. And how many up. hours later was this? Oh, about an hour, I'd say. Yeah. Passed out on the bed with the bottle of tablets next to me that was empty. Mm. He threw me in the car, raced about 200 kilometers per hour to the hospital. Um, in the casualties, they had to resuscitate me and pump my stomach and mm. everything. And um, I was in ICU for two days. Mm-hmm. They said I was awake, you know, but I can't remember anything. They just said it looked like there was this other person in my body. My eyes were just like Staring everywhere And um, when I woke up that morning There was a doctor there He wasn't the one that treated me when I came in I think he was just like uh, on duty On the ICU Yes, on that day And um, he looked at me and he says Is this the, how many times have you overdosed before? That was his opening statement Yes, he didn't even ask me how I was Nothing, just how many times have you overdosed before? So I looked at him and I said, I'm not a drug addict. You know, that's not me. You, you need to ask me. And he just said, um, 
Well, you can go home or I can refer you to the psych ward upstairs. Oh, my goodness. And I just thought, no, I'm going go home. home. <laughs> yeah. This doctor was terrible. I mean, that's you get that sometimes health workers, they're mm. not interested. You know, you're just a number. Mm. I think especially especially with the suicide attempts, I, I mean, I've seen it myself where if a patient has tried, you know, tried to commit suicide and, and you know, obviously they've survived, they come into casualty. You know, the things that people would say, treat them with disdain, and yet that person needs so much help. You know, that, you know, if they've survived, they need so much help, so much attention, so much aftercare to yes. ensure that it doesn't happen again. And the stigma and this the discrimination from the health workers is really something else, you know. So you suffer, you know, you experience that firsthand in ICU. Yes. You know. There's almost like an irritation as, you know, as in, why don't you do it properly? You know, if yes. you had done it properly, you wouldn't be here wasting our time. That's the feeling that you get. Yes, exactly. And there was a nurse, well, the sister on duty, she was very nice. She mm-hmm. said to me, you're very depressed and you need urgent help. Yeah. You know, go back to your psychiatrist and get back on your medicine. She says, mm. don't take notice of him. You know, that's, you get them. Mm. And, um, I went back home and I was like looking at myself and all these bruises all over my body. Cause obviously when my husband threw me in the car, I fell off the seat and, mm. and I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, what have you done? What have you actually done to yourself and your family? And I felt so guilty. Mm. You know, but um, then when I went back to the psychiatrist, she explained, you know, you can't help it. You, it's just, you know, don't ever go off your medicine. Mm. And, and that's the thing, because, I mean, bipolar mood disorder is... is is probably one of the most misunderstood mental health conditions, misunderstood by by people in general. I mean, the psychiatrists and the doctors, the ones that ha- are able to diagnose it, we know what it is. And it's basically, there's two types of bipolar mood disorder. There's bipolar one, which is characterized by psychosis, and there's bipolar two, which is the highs and the lows. And I think you have bipolar two. And bipolar two almost always goes hand in hand with major depressive disorder. And the mainstay of bipolar two is obviously to give antidepressants and to give mood stabilizers to make sure that, you know, at least you're functioning at an even, at an even level, you know, you, you're not high and then low and then high and then low. And, um, the, the media internet, I think the media and movies have played a, and pop culture have played a very big role in, in, you know, contributing towards how people misunderstand bipolar mood disorder. I think we've seen, you know, when they portray people who've got bipolar in the movies, it's always this murderous person with an axe and so on. What are, you know, what are your feelings around that? Yes, no, I definitely agree. And um, they're always, all these um, movie stars and everyone, they come out and they're bipolar. You know, sometimes I also think they get misdiagnosed and they're not bipolar. And people, you know, because bipolar is now the new word mm. in the business, so... Anyone and everyone that's depressed has got bipolar and, um, you know, the media doesn't portray that as it is. I don't think they do enough research and people don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, um, information's the key thing. You mm. know, educate yourself about bipolar and don't just assume, you know, that the person is crazy or, you know, in different cultures, like in my culture, it's religion. Yeah. I'm African, so you're not really allowed to commit suicide, you know, in our religion, mm. then you're a coward and you want the easy way out, mm. you know, and um, I think it's just information. People mm. need to get informed. And in terms of you sharing um, what you've gone through with your family, with your friends, how was that? You know, I mean, I mean, first it was your husband and your kids, but in the rest of your family and your friends? 
Actually, only my husband, my sister and her two daughters knew Yeah. what happened in the beginning and then obviously he told his parents. I wouldn't tell my parents because my mom had a few strokes before and I thought she was she won't handle yeah, this. Yeah, she's fragile, yeah. Yes, because I'm also her baby, you know, mm. the baby <laughs> of the family, the youngest. Yeah. And I basically told no one, you know, I was um, ashamed to say the least. My kids didn't know. They only knew now when I wrote the book a few years ago, then mm. they found out because I didn't want them to... You know, to worry about me and think, yo, what's my mom going to do next? Yeah. You know? um, our close family, they wouldn't really talk about it, you know, and they wouldn't ask me questions. Everyone just said, oh, you're okay, you know. <laughs> and they cheat, and then they go out of their way to make sure that you're comfortable and you're happy and, and they're always watching you. Like, yes. Weren't they always watching you, worried when you go to the bathroom, where is she going, what's going to happen? Yes. How did you handle that? It was Awkward to say the least. My husband used to hide every tablet in the oh, house. I can imagine. It's just like, and you know, sometimes I would go to work or I get home and I forget my cell phone upstairs or something, and he comes racing home. Why aren't you answering your cell phone? Oh. You know, things like that. And also, um, some of my friends who knew, they wouldn't let me babysit the kids. They always had like a excuse, you know, and I wouldn't do that in front of kids. I mean, exactly. Like, do it by yourself and um yeah and the religion side people used to say the devil made you do that mm. you know and oh, what nonsense <laughs> <laughs> no i know that i mean i think i mean i'm glad that you you understand the the physiology behind it you know yes. it's a chemical imbalance in the brain that's treated by medication but at the time that you didn't understand it, the shame that you felt um you felt ashamed because did you feel that did you feel that you were you know weak or you were a failure? Where, 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 where was the shame coming from? Yes, exactly that. I felt like um you know I couldn't cope with things and mm. I was like weak. You know I couldn't handle stress and everything else. But also um I think it was just a shame. I was ashamed, you know, and um. I only told my boss a few years later because we, um, we had a, no, it wasn't a few years later, sorry, the next year. Yeah. Because we had a meeting, a regional meeting in our boardroom and then, um, someone said something to me and I just got up and walked out. You know, I couldn't even deal with anything at work. So he called me into the office and he said to me, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like that? Mm-hmm. And I, I broke down and I told him and they were all so shocked. They couldn't believe. I'm a very calm person at work and soft-spoken. You know, you never know what's going on in someone else's house. Mm. So, yes, I was very ashamed. Mm. And in terms of, um, like, I think your your worst symptoms, it was the cleaning of the house, the excessive cleaning of the house. At the time that you're doing all of those things, what is your family saying? Like, I mean, I clean at 2 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) but, I mean, I'm OCD. You know, I've got my (laughs) own issues. What did your husband say? What did your kids say? You know, what what were they thinking? I think they got so used to it, they didn't even notice, you know, because then I'd never slept. So my husband would wake up and I'm out of bed, you know, and then he think, oh, my God, she's washing she dishes or something. <laughs> and I just carry on sleeping and, you know, I was, like, obsessed with everything in the house must be clean and ironed. And even though I had a domestic, I still did everything again, you know, mm. so... I had to do something, otherwise I would go insane. I couldn't mm. just sit still. It mm. was like something was driving me the whole time. 
and your your decision to write the book. Um, yeah, what prompted that? Um, it was therapy for me. I always wanted to write. I did a creative writing um, degree at UNISA. Okay. And um, I thought if I can just reach out to one person and show them that you can live a normal life, you know, and just get there and get the right medication and go to a psychiatrist and don't be ashamed. And, you know, if I can do it, I'm a normal girl from a small town, then anyone can do it. Mm. There is hope. Mm. Don't ever give up. And I think as well, Antoinette, I mean, many people tend to associate, um, you know, mental illness like bipolar with some or other incident. You know, maybe you were abused as a kid or, you know, maybe someone died. And, you know, and in your case, I know that nothing of the sort happened. This, no. You know, you just developed bipolar mood disorder. Yes. No, I had a very happy um, childhood. I mean, we were always at parties and, you know, all the family came over for bras and it was always full house. Mm. I can't say that anything happened. I've got a happy marriage. I love my husband to death. I love my kids. There's nothing really that I can pinpoint that mm. did this. I mean, it's not genetic in my case. I can't say that anyone in my family's got it. So you can't look back and, and maybe identify a family member who may have had bipolar mood disorder or major depressive disorder. There's no one you can recognize. No, not really. And I mean, in the 70s and 80s, when I grew up, they didn't talk about these things. And, mm. the, you know, you're right, people yeah, were not you're right, yeah. diagnosed. So mm. they, they might have been, but you know, I was young and maybe I didn't notice. Mm. And the church that you, I mean, the church that you go to now is it the same church that you were going to when you were diagnosed. Or yes. You, you, so you still go to the same church? Yes. And do they now know that you have, you're living with bipolar mood disorder? No. So your church no. still doesn't know? No. <laughs> okay, and no. you wouldn't, and you wouldn't tell them. No, yeah. I, I just don't um, want to be judged. Mm. You know, I'd rather true. keep quiet. I'll <laughs> find out someday. I mean, my yeah. kids are in the same Christian school that's next to the church. Yeah. I mean, most of the people they know me, mm. so they might know, but no one's saying anything. Mm. <laughs> They're avoiding it. No, I think I look at myself. I mean, when I came out about with, with you know having major depressive disorder. It didn't ever cross my mind that there'd be, you know, stigma or discrimination that, you know, attached to my decision of talking, speaking out about it. But, you know, after I did it, so many people were helped. So many people have emailed me since then to say, oh, we're also going through the same thing. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. I'm so glad that this happens to, to doctors, you know, that whole thing that, oh, at least we know, we know we're not the only ones. But in, in disclosing, I mean, you run the risk of being judged. And I'm glad that you've mentioned that because as I said, with all the misconceptions and all the myths around, Mental illness, um, you, you run the risk of being judged. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people would rather keep all of these things to themselves than come out. Yes, that's exactly like that. I mean, you're, you don't want to be judged. You feel worthless. Mm. You know, and who's other people to judge you? They're not in your shoes. They don't live in your house. You know, they're not in your mind. So mm. <laughs> they got no right, actually. And that's where, um, I think support groups come in. I think it's so important. To, to have a strong, a strong support group, a, a family support group, a friendship circle. If it can't be a family, because you can't always trust family. If it can't, be, it can't be family, it'll have to be like a friendship circle. If it can't be a friendship circle, then of course we can reach out to groups like the South African, um, 
you know, depression and anxiety group because they have a lot of um, people who they support who are living with bipolar mood disorder. But, you know, after the song break, we'll come back and speak about the medication. I think it's very important for people to know, you know, what what medication is taken and the, and the side effects and just how to live with, with the side effects. Okay. First you love me and I let you in Made me feel like I was born again You empowered me, you made me strong It's time for a WeChat workout WeChat Go to the Cliff Central account Tab Connect Then message to show Unreal Uncensored Unradio CliffCentral.com well, we're back in the health hour with me, Dr. Cindy Siofansel, at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And I have Antoinette McMaster in studio with me, and she's sharing her life story, well, her story with um, living with bipolar mood disorder, which is what we're discussing. Just to recap a bit on what bipolar mood disorder is, you have two types. You have bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. And bipolar 1, um, I think, is the one, you know, that's the, that's the one that's characterized by psychotic behavior, where you're, you're really manic, you're out of control. And bipolar mood disorder too is the commonest one where major depressive disorder almost always goes hand in hand with the bipolar disorder. And the medication in both cases, medication and in some cases therapy, admission to hospital makes all the difference. And the medication that you'd get is um, antidepressants, obviously to to, you know, to lift your mood and get you out of the depression. And then mood stabilizers, which we, you know we get you on an even keel so you're functional. So, um, in terms of price, Anthony, I mean, someone asked me about the, the price of the drugs. I mean, I know that, um, you know, for my major depressive disorder, I was, I'm definitely spending, well, I've stopped medication now because I've been weaned off, but I was spending around a thousand rand a month on, on medication because I'm on hospital plans. So I was buying it out of my own pockets. How much do you spend? I mean, you know, when your savings is up, how much would you spend on medication? Um, yes, I am on discovery. Yeah. <laughs> But um, your savings obviously mm. runs out during the year if kids get sick and everything. Mm. And um, about a thousand five hundred rand per month, which is expensive. And that's a problem because some people can't afford that. I mean, people that people don't, that don't have access to public sector clinics or hospitals that have a psychiatrist and give medication for free can't keep up with their medication because of the price. Yes, that's correct. It's actually very sad. Mm. And also, what medication were you on at the very beginning? What did you start off with? I uh, started off with Ciprolex. Yeah. Um, for and uh, for depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on that now for about seven years. Okay. Um, I didn't really have side effects. It was just um, making me feel like a zombie. Okay. And um, I picked up weight. Mm, that, that's one of the worst side effects of antidepressants. Yes. But yeah. But before we go further, Antoinette, we just have a caller on the line. And let's just take this call and let's yeah, let's see who we we're chatting to. Okay. Hello, Hello Anonymous. Good Hi. afternoon, ladies. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good, good, good. I'm also a sufferer of bipolar. Yes. And I couldn't agree more with all the points that you've made, but I just thought um what I found helped quite as well, as much as I can educate myself on the disease, it is equally as important for me to try and educate my loved ones or for them to put in a bit of effort to understand the disease as well. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's gotten to a point where it nearly had ruined my marriage. Um, I think a massive amount of thanks and respect needs to go into the partners of people who have, have this illness and this disorder because it doesn't just affect you. Unfortunately, it affects everyone else around you as well. 
So I don't think often there's a lot of emphasis on education from a, a spouse or a partner's point of view being being highlighted, which I just thought I would bring bring out as what I found really helped helped with my situation as well. Yeah, that's very true. And I think the partners of, of people living with bipolar mood disorder, they go through a lot because you're there for the highs and the lows. You're there in the acute phase. You have to deal with the fallout of the behavior. You are the one explaining to people why your partner's acting like this and like that. So it's great that you and Antoinette have partners who have stuck it out. It's a great strength because if you are having a low or anger burst, Unfortunately, they're the ones who you take it out on. Yeah. And when you're feeling normal again, it's a vicious cycle because you feel so sorry for what you've done and you feel so depressed, so it puts you into a real, real down again. Um, but if you, you have a very understanding spouse who's been educated on it, they can kind of understand it. So they can kind of help relieve that, that anxiety and feeling of guilt off of you because they understand it is associated with your disorder. Yeah. Um, I just want to say when I was diagnosed with bipolar, my husband actually went to a psychologist so he could um, find out more about that. And, you know, education is really, really important for your spouse. And um, there's a lot of information on the SADAC website. Your um, spouse can go read about that on the Internet. There's so much research. You get books about bipolar. So, yes, it's very important. Perfect. And again, thank you ladies so, so much for bringing up the, this topic and shedding some light on the disorder. I'm um, really enjoying the show. Thank you thank so you. much. You yeah, know, the spouses do bear the brunt of, 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 of what's happening with, with bipolar mood disorder. I mean, I know that in my case, when I was admitted for major depression, my husband had to take over the house, get people to come in. His, my mother-in-law came in. My mom came in to help out with the kids while I was admitted. And I mean, in your case, um, internet, the, the, your friends, I, 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 keep, I keep asking you about your friends. <laughs> do you have a best friend? Yes, I do. Okay. And she knows everything. She knows everything. Okay. So is she able to, like, if she can see that you're going a bit down, you're not feeling a bit, you know, you're not feeling okay, is she able to at least point out that, Antoinette, you know what, I think you're too stressed, take time out, you know, is she, does she do that for you? Yeah, she does. She can actually feel it, you know, when we're not together and yeah. I speak to her, even on WhatsApp, she tells me what's wrong with you. Mm. You know, and um, yes, it's very important to have a friend. You can't always tell your husband everything or your kids, mm. you know, and you don't want to tell your, your in-laws. In my case, I've only got a dad left so yeah. and he's elderly, so I can't tell him, you know, all these things. So, yes, friendship's very, very important. And in terms of work, um, are you still at the same job that you were at or are you you're working somewhere else now? No, I'm still at the same place. Okay. And what measures did you, what measures did you put in place? Just at least control the stress or at least have your boss understand if you can't come in. Because the one thing that people need to realize about being on, on, on chronic medication for mental illness and just mental illness itself, forget the medication, is that not all the days are the same. Yes. Even though you're controlled and you are on medication, there are just some days when you just can't. Yes. You, know, you can't get out of bed. You can't eat. You can't do anything. Does your, is your boss understanding yes, of very. that? So, They're very so, understanding. They all know yeah. all the staff in our building. We're in the finance building, not in the main building. Mm-hmm. And we're not a lot of people there, about eight. But they all know, you know, even if I go to work and I'm quiet the day, they just leave me alone. Okay, so they know to, to yes. stay away. Yeah. Yes. And we've got a message here from Denver. So Denver says that, um, I mean, he says no offense to us, but, I mean, if he had known that someone had tried to commit suicide, he wouldn't want that person to to look after their children. I mean, he's a parent and he understands what you're going through. and. 
I mean, that's a little bit sad because what if your sister is, is, you know, is, has bipolar mood disorder? What if she's the one that must look after your kids, you know? But I understand. I understand why he says what he says. Yes, of course. You can't trust your kids with anybody these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, as long as the person's stable and on a medication and mm. leading a normal life, I can't see why not. Mm. It's just a normal person. Mm. And um, what Hilton says that, um, you know, his wife has a very similar story. She sees a GP every six months to get her prescription of, of, of Silift and, um, she say, he says that you know they don't have medical aid, and it's it's a problem for them. So for people that don't have medical aid, Anthony, what do you recommend? I know the the Southern African Depression and Anxiety Group, South African Depression and Anxiety Group, SADC, um has a lot of um, resources online um, for people to 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 have access to. So yeah, what do you say to Hilton? Um, yes, definitely. Um, if you know Hilton, you can contact them. Um, the on the internet, you just Google SADC. Yeah, S A D A G. And um, there's help centers, there's, um, you know, like a line you can call to see, you can go see for medicine, there's psychiatrists, anything you want, they will help you mm. with. They're excellent. And what I want to point out as well is that um, even if you don't have medical aid, okay, there are public sector facilities that do provide psychiatric treatment and psychiatric help. Okay, so it doesn't mean that all is lost because you do need medication. So please don't not take medication because you don't have medical aid. If your medical aid runs out, whatever it is, you need to still continue taking it. Reach out, find out where your, your nearest clinic is, find out which they re, where the referring center is, and you know where the nearest places that offers psychiatric um, psychiatric help. I think that's important. Yes, very. Yeah. And so Andrew's asking, how is bipolar diagnosed? Okay. So basically, I mean, Antoinette's story. I think pretty much pointed that out. You you look at the symptoms that you're having in your life and then you report, you know, you get seen by a GP and then your GP will then have to figure out from your, from your symptoms, whether this is a mental illness or not. And that's what happened to the, I think it was, it was a process of, of elimination. I mean, they did the CT scan. They initially thought it was depression only, but then as the symptoms got worse, then they realized that it was a, you know, after you saw a psychiatrist, they then realized that it was a bipolar mood disorder. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So it, it goes is, by symptoms. Yes. And I think in your case, Anthony, the symptoms were, you know, excessive cleaning, not sleeping, and what else did you have? I used to cry a lot, lie oh, on the yes, floor, yeah. be, you know, doesn't want to get out of bed. I wouldn't socialize. I wouldn't go anywhere. I became like a hermit mm. in my own home. My husband used to get irritated because he wants to go out and visit friends and family, and I won't go. Mm. You know, so we had many, many arguments about that, but... um Yes, eventually you realize you've got a problem. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and, and it's true. I mean, it's, it's almost always, it almost always starts off bipolar mood disorder too, almost always starts off with symptoms of depression. And that's the, you know, the, the crying and the not wanting to socialize. If you were a social butterfly, all of a sudden you shut down. You don't want to go out anymore. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to see people. All the things that you used to enjoy, you don't do anymore. And in some cases, if there's an, if there's an element of being manic, you know, being over the top, then you'll have the symptoms of grandiosity where people tell you that, oh, I think I'm Jesus or I think I can fly or you'll have the decreased need for sleep. Like you're always on the go, like you're in like an energizer bunny. Unusual talkativeness, you know, people just talk and talk and talk and talk and they don't necessarily make sense, but they can't stop talking. You know, you're easily distracted. Some people go on buying sprees. Some people Mm -hmm. go on, 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 on drinking binges and some people go on like, a sexual rampage, like where they're just sleeping around, sleeping with everybody. And this is always be- behavior that isn't you. Yes. It'll be easy to pick up that, okay, something's up. This is not how this person usually is and something needs to be done. 
That's correct. I also used to get on the shopping benches. <laughs> Eventually, I looked in my closet and I've got like three of the same item, and I'm, yeah. I can't even remember when I bought it. And put mm. things at price tags on, and you know, it was crazy. And after you started taking the medication, um, Antoinette, how long? After how long did the medication start working? Um, it takes normally between four to six weeks. I'll say it was. Um, I actually, um, yes, it's four to six weeks for the antidepressants to start working. Mm -hmm. The mood stabilizer started working in the second week for me. It might be different to other people, but, you know, that was in my case. And then obviously I need sleeping tablets because otherwise I'll never sleep. And what is the overwhelming feeling? Like, um, what, what, what is the first thing you felt when you knew that, okay, I'm going to be fine. I feel different. I'm going to be okay. What is the first thing that you felt? Ah, sure. <laughs> I was so happy. I just felt like normal. You know, I can do normal things and I can carry on with my life. It's just like amazing. <laughs> it's almost like a cloud lift. Yes. You know, yes. I think that's when, you know, when my antidepressants kicked in, I just felt as if I was okay. I felt as if, okay, let's hope I can do this. I can carry on with life. And those suicidal thoughts, Antoinette, do you ever still get them? No. That's completely no, gone. it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely one of the... um Highlights, one of the lowlights of having mental illness, especially depression and bipolar, is this constant nagging voice that tells you that you need to die. You know, yes. as soon as the medication starts working properly and you're taking it regularly, that thing lifts. Yes. You know, Anonymous says here that, um, you know, he was in a relationship with, with a girl that suffered from bipolar and it was really scary for him, you know, to go through and yeah. And look, the truth is that some people, you know, some, some people who aren't controlled on treatment. I mean, Internet and I have, you know, met people who are bipolar, who are not controlled. It is quite scary. It is quite scary to spend time with such people. Yes, definitely. I mean, you don't know what to expect from one minute to the next. Mm. I mean, then the person's crying and you don't know why she's crying. Did you do something to upset her? You know, and or if she's talking so much, you can't even keep up. It's like different thoughts all the time. Then she's talking about her cat. Then it's her work. Then it's mm. this. You know, it's like it must be very scary mm. if you don't know what's coming next. I mean, and Andrew also wants to know that can one be bipolar and never be diagnosed? Yes, you can. Mm. I mean, if we if we look at just the stigma around mental illness, we look at the at the number of doctors that sometimes miss the diagnosis, I think there's, there are a lot more people out there with mental illness than we actually know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. People are too embarrassed to go. They think this, you know, they're crazy and people's going to look at them and think, oh, you know, you need to be in a madhouse, actually. Mm. And given the symptoms that I spoke about, I mean, I, I think as well that a lot of people, even if there's something wrong, they will then find something else to fill that, to fill, like to, to, to run away from these symptoms that they're feeling. So maybe you, you just end up drinking a lot just to cover up this, the shopping sprees and the sleeping around and all of that stuff, or you end up taking drugs. And all you actually need is to be seen by, a, you know, a GP, referred to a psychiatrist, started on treatment, stabilized, and your life goes back to normal. Yes, people like that, I think they ruin their life eventually, just not being diagnosed. I mean, you can become a drug addict, overdose, or an alcoholic. I mean, and you could have just be gone to the doctor and he could have referred you to a psychiatrist, psychologist. You could have had your medication and lead a normal life. Mm. And so in terms of the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, um, Antoinette, how did you get involved with them? How did you find them? Because that's how I met you on, yes. on that show. 
Well, I actually wanted to write a book for people that tried to commit suicide, but, um, you know, survived, like yeah. myself. Okay, so and suicide survivor. Yeah. Yes, and, um, you know, how do you go on from that? How, you know, I wanted to ask survivors questions and things, and I contacted them um, to ask for help, you know, who can I speak to and so on. And they were very helpful. I must admit, you're amazing people. They do so much for the community and for mental illness. There's just no limit of praise for them. And um, they were very helpful. They actually contacted me for a few radio shows. And oh, not this is my first one, <laughs> my bucket list. <laughs> and um, a TV show and some magazines, you know, and just answering questions from journalists that wanted to know information. And yes, I'm busy writing that book. <laughs> oh, you've started writing it already. Yes, oh, that's definitely. fantastic. And have you have you have you um, spoken to other survivors? Yes, yes, I spoke to a few. There's also been suicides in our family, like my sister's, my niece's boyfriend, and um, you know friends that I know that's committed suicide, partners, and they actually didn't know they were bipolar. Mm. That's the very sad thing. You know, they didn't pick up the symptoms. They were not educated to mm-hmm. realize that, um, you know, this person needed help. And, I mean, for you, having survived, you know, two suicide attempts, Antoinette, um, like, I mean, there's a lot of people listening. What what message do you have for someone that has tried and survived? What do you want to say to people out there? Well, for me, um, I think I, I was saved for a reason. So I could talk about this, try and educate people, you know, that if they want to read my book, they're welcome, um, just to help people. And I think really I want, I was saved for that. And, you know, I'm actually very shy and I wouldn't normally talk about these things, but it's like something's pushing me. I have to do it. And there's hope. Hey, there's hope you can live a normal life. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Mm. And in terms of in terms of the book, um, how have the sales been? Where can we find your book? How much does it cost? Um, it's available on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. I think it's about seven dollars. Okay. And um, the title of the book is. It oh is God. alone, and my name on it is Antony McMaster, because that's what my husband calls me. Oh, okay. Antony. So it's not a secret name. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dedicated to him. And um, if they want a, a hard copy of my book, they can contact me. Directly on Twitter, and you know, you, you mentioned to me that your your book helped you to heal. It was therapeutic for you. Um, but digging into the past, how did that feel? Um, you know, actually, it was fine because I always used to write a journal from oh, when so I was little. Oh, yes. Okay, so I just had to put it all together in a timeline. But after I wrote the book and it got published, it took me about two years. Actually, I'm just editing a few things in the book, you know, the medication and whatever. And I couldn't read this book. I was just looking at it and I I couldn't go back to it and face, you know, what happened to me. And I think I've gone past that stage now. I've read the whole thing and fixed up all sorts of things. (laughs) And I think I'm, I'm there, hey? That's awesome, Antoinette. And, and in your spare time, if if you're not like motivating us and, you know, enlightening us, what do you do in your spare time? Um, read, write. Um, actually, I've got quite a busy life because I work half day. Um, I've got two teenage girls that need to go to netball, to drum majorettes, to up and down. You know, I'm like a yo-yo all day. <laughs> um, 
I'm a team leader for Honey Fashion Accessories. I've got 32 consultants underneath me that I have to look after. We've got functions, and it's real fun. I must admit I enjoy it. Well, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I met you, Anthony, because I think um, the, the work that you're doing, I mean, especially when you say that you, you know, you're a very reserved person, you're quite shy. It's actually true. I mean, I, I mean, the overwhelming feeling of being around you, I feel like an energizer bunny. <laughs> you're very cool and calm and serene, but the fact that you have this thing in your heart to share this message, I mean... That's awesome. That's awesome that you're able to take yourself out of your shyness and spread the good news that, you know what, bipolar mood disorder, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to worry about. The medication actually works. There is help out there. Just go out and get help. Yes, definitely. Education, hey? It makes all the difference. Mm. So where can we find you? Give us your Twitter handle. Give us your Facebook account, um, your email address, everything that we need to know about you. Okay, my Twitter account's at Antoinette, A-N-T-I-O-N-E-T-T-E, M-C-M-A-S. My Facebook page is Antoinette McMaster, uh, minus on Bipolar News and Support. My email is A-Mac, oh, sorry, A-Macmaster at E-S-R-I, um, hyphen minus on South Africa written out dot com. Okay, no, thank you so much, Internet. And I'll, I'll, I mean, I've tweeted about you. So if you want to find out more about Internet McMaster, you can go to my Twitter handle at D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, Internet, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs>